joy in the house of the Lord today. Amen? Amen. If you have your own copy of God's Word this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. And I know we have a long passage this morning, 17 verses, but I'd like for us to just read it all together. I'll read aloud if you could follow along in your own hearts there. Psalm 59. We're in the book of Psalms now. Um, Last week was the first part of our series in the Psalms, looking at the Hebrew hymnal here. And so here we are in Psalm 59, beginning in verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from, my, from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in His steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord our shield, for the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips. Let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For every section of Scripture, every corner of Your Word, we especially thank You this morning for the book of Psalms that speak to us on a deep, deep emotional level. Lord, You know us, You know our thoughts, You know our hearts, and You have given for us Your Word that we may know You that we may know you and turn to you in every phase of our life, on mountaintops and in valleys. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, 
that our hope in you would grow greater. That we would fear you and not the world. Fear you and not the enemy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you an article that I read this week. Over a decade ago, there were some American special forces pinned down in a valley in Afghanistan, surrounded by Taliban snipers. So they called for CAS, which, of course, we all know what that stands for. I did not know what that stood for until I read this article. It's close air support. They called for close air support. And some A-10 warthogs, which... The, uh, the description there, the definition is very cool jet, okay? Some A-10 warthogs showed up and fired 200 rounds of 30 millimeter bullets onto one mountain to take out the bad guy. And these troops were still taking on fire, so they dropped a bomb on a mountain nearby to take out yet another enemy sniper. And then a helicopter was able to come in and extract these American troops from where they were and take them to safety. So the moral of the story here is that when you are surrounded by the enemy, the only hope you have is help from above. And here in our psalm this morning, we're going to see someone pinned down by the enemy crying for help from above. Now, the context of Psalm 59 is when Saul sent men to watch David's house, to watch the house in the night and hopefully kill him in the morning. And so David cries out for help. Let's look again to Psalm 59, verse 1 and 2. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. So who is David talking about? David's talking about these henchmen working for King Saul, sent to watch his house and kill him. Now we all find ourselves in just such a predicament on a regular basis, don't we? Our king sends henchmen to watch us and kill us. This is a common problem, is it not? No. So, what is the connection here with us? Who is our enemy? Well, Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Often, if somebody was to ask us who is our enemy, we would think of someone we've seen on the news. That's our enemy. We would think of maybe someone overseas in some corrupt government Maybe a corrupt person in government around here. I don't know. People would come to our mind. That's our enemy. These are the people that are working wickedness all around us. But according to the Bible, that's not the enemy. These are prisoners of war. People who have been deceived and used by the enemy. These people, flesh and blood, they are not the enemy. They're simply under his influence. And our hope and our prayer should be that those people would repent of their wickedness and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. That they would become our brothers and our sisters in Christ. 
That should be our hope and our prayer because our true enemy is Satan. That's who the enemy is. Satan and the demonic forces that do his bidding. So when it says bloodthirsty men, our minds should go immediately to 1 Peter 5.8. That Satan is prowling like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to devour you. He wants to get you out of the will of God and into destructive sin. That's what he wants. So we see this parallel here between Satan's predicament with these henchmen and what we face in our spiritual enemy. But David goes on here in verse 3 to describe the nature of the attack. Verse 3, 59.3 says, For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. So we see David is under attack by Saul's henchmen. We are under attack by Satan and his demons. We see that David does not deserve this attack. He, he's done nothing but serve his king, serve his country, and most of all, serve the Lord. He's done nothing to deserve the attack that he's getting. And just like David, we've done nothing. And that's where it seems to break down. It seems to break down there because, yes, we deserve every bad thing that comes our way. We are wretched and horrible sinners. In case it's been a long time since you've been reminded, you are a wretched and horrible sinner. And I just wanted to bring that message to you today. And I can identify one easily because I am a wretched and horrible sinner. So when we read this, these words of David, for no fault of mine, I'm being attacked and and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this. Well, in the same way, we can also make a similar claim. Because our debt that we are in because of our sin, our debt has been paid by Jesus Christ on Calvary. Jesus has paid the price for my sin through his shed blood on the cross. So that in the grand checkout counter of heaven... If you were to be rung up on the scanner, it would not read your sin if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It would read the righteousness of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who love God. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Satan has nothing on you. He would seek to remind you of all the horrible things you've done. But Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father saying, I already died for that. I have already paid the price for that. I think of the words of Zechariah where he talks about how the high priest was standing in front of God. The high priest is standing in front of God. 
And his clothes are filthy. And Satan says, look at him in his filthy clothes. Have you ever been somewhere in gross clothes where no one else was dressed like that? I think of uh, the summers where I worked construction. I was on the roof. I was covered in, in just absolute filth and sweat. And on Friday, I would go into the bank to cash my paycheck and just put my hand on, on the handrail, and oh, there's my handprint in sweat right there. And I'm just in absolutely putrid and disgusting clothing. And everyone in there is wearing a tie and a button-up shirt. Everything is sparkly clean. And here I am, covered in filth, hoping to walk out with some money. Think of that times a million. The high priest here in the presence, the glorious, amazing presence of God. Filthy. And the angel of the Lord, who I believe to be Christ Jesus, says, put him in clean clothes. Put him in white, pure robes. And Zechariah says, give him a clean turban too. So here he is, head to toe, in the purity of Christ Jesus. And doesn't Satan look stupid? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been dressed in the purity of Christ. You've been dressed in his righteousness. And so you too can say, I'm being attacked by the enemy for no fault of mine. I don't deserve this. I'm in clean clothes because of the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So David cries out. He says, Lord, I'm under attack. Help me. He describes the nature of the attack. He says, this is an unwarranted attack. But what does he want God to do about it? He calls for justice. He calls for justice in two ways. Number one, he wants them put to an open shame. He wants his enemies put to an open shame. And number two, he wants them consumed in wrath. So as we talk about an open shame, let's review Psalm 59, verse 11 and 12. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. He says, Lord, don't kill them just yet. Don't kill them just yet. I want everyone to see them in shame and defeat. It makes me think of Captain Hook. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Peter Pan. But the backstory is that Peter Pan was in a duel with Captain Hook. He cut off his hand. He threw it to a crocodile. And everyone who sees Captain Hook and sees his hook there can see that he was defeated by Peter Pan. It's just this constant humiliation that Captain Hook can't do anything in life without being reminded of his humiliating defeat. And whenever he sees the crocodile coming, whenever he hears it coming, he hears the of his wristwatch that the crocodile ate, just mocking him, taunting him. How foolish you are. You were defeated by Peter Pan. David wants his enemies put to a humiliating, embarrassing defeat. Don't kill him just yet. 
Let them be humiliated. And then he goes on to say, I want them to be trapped in their pride, the sins of their mouths, their words, their cursing and lies. This is very clear imagery of the accuser here. Remember back to that story from Zechariah. Satan was saying, look at him how filthy he is, how dirty and disgusting he is. Look at him. And just like that, he's dressed in the righteousness of Christ and Satan is trapped in the foolishness of his accusations. He wants them put to an open shame. And friends, our accuser, who reminds you all the time of all the horrible things you've done, reminds you all the time of who you were before Christ, of who you are in the weakness of your flesh. He's going to be put to an open shame. He is going to be embarrassed and trapped in his accusations. And you know what, friends? To some degree, he already has been. Through the atonement of Christ on the cross, through his death and triumphant resurrection... Satan is already looking pretty stupid. He's been put to an open shame and there is more shame to come for him. There is more humiliation and defeat to come for our great and terrible enemy. So he wants them put to an open shame. He also wants them ultimately consumed in wrath. Let's examine Psalm 59 verse 13. Consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Consume them in wrath. This foreshadows the end of our enemy. Revelation 20, verse 7 to 10, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever. Our enemy will be consumed in wrath. And that's okay for us to root for that. God has instilled in us all A cry for his justice. And this is the justice of God upon the enemy. Remember, we don't wish this upon people who've been deceived by Satan. We pray for their repentance and deliverance from sin. But we wish this, we hope this, we pray this, and we know this will come about for our enemy, Satan, the father of lies. So David says, help me, Lord, I'm under attack. I don't deserve this attack. Please, please bring about your holy justice. But then he goes on to declare the pathetic nature of the enemy compared to God. Let's go back and look at Psalm 59, verse 6 and 7. Each evening they come back like howling dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us? 
He says his enemies are like dogs prowling around the city. Now, as a kid, I spent a little bit of time in the country, and I remember one particular day I was out in rural North Carolina, and I was playing with another little boy who lived out there. And all the dogs in the area would just run loose. There weren't fences or anything. The dogs would just run loose and they followed us around and as we played in the field and in the woods, this pack of dogs was following us around and we'd play with them and then they went home to the families that owned them and they had dinner and it was, it was a precious um, little thing to experience. This is not that. This is something else. These dogs were not kept as pets. They traveled in fierce packs and they were absolute menaces and they were dangerous, disease-ridden. They would scare you. You would go, don't go outside. I can hear the dogs prowling around the city. David says his enemies are ferocious and scary. He even says swords are coming out of their mouth. So now I'm picturing terrifying, wild, mangy Dogs with swords coming out of their mouths. It's quite a picture. They're terrifying. But as ferocious and incessant as his enemies are, they are absolutely pitiful compared to the power of the Almighty God who laughs at them. And this is very much like our experience with the enemy. Make no mistake, the devil is a powerful, powerful enemy. He is a powerful entity that you need to be aware of. In Jude 9, we read that Michael the archangel wouldn't even slander Satan by his own power and authority, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. If Michael the archangel didn't slander the enemy by his own power and authority... Do you think we can? I don't hardly think so. We don't have a chance against the devil in our strength, in our own strength or authority. Even if your name is Johnny and you play the fiddle real good down in Georgia, the devil is not a joke. He's not a cartoon character. He's not some goofy little guy on your shoulder whispering to you to do bad things. The devil is real and he is scary and he is at work in this world. But by the power and authority of the God that we love, we will overcome and Satan will be annihilated. Now as we've read here, there have been a couple of phrases that may or may not have jumped out at you. Phrases like, God of Israel... Who rules over Jacob. And you may be afraid when we read the pretty promises in this passage. You may be afraid to claim them for fear that you're stealing them from the Jewish people. But I'd like to read to you Romans 9.8. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. 
Now, we don't have the time in our service nor the occasion in our passage to get fully into the discussion of what is for the Hebrew people and what is for the church and how much distinction is there between the two. But what I do want to say is don't be afraid to put these pretty promises in your pocket. You aren't stealing them. They belong to you. So what are the pretty promises we see in this passage? Well, verse 5 tells us that the God who commands hosts of mighty angels is our God. We just sang the song, Angel Armies. When you read the title, Lord of Hosts, that's what you're talking about. The Lord of Hosts means the God of mighty angel armies. When we sang, a mighty fortress is our God, there was that one line, Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he shall win the battle. Lord Sabaoth doesn't mean Lord of the Sabbath. It's the same thing. It's the title, the God of mighty hosts of angels. So as powerful and mighty as angels are, and as many as they are in number, we've got an in with the guy who commands them all. We have an end with an end with the creator of the whole universe. The sovereign Lord of all. We can talk to him any time that we want. He's our savior who loves us. So by our own strength and authority, we don't have a prayer. But by God's strength and authority and the intercession of Jesus Christ, we have the power of prayer and the strength of God on our side. So number one, the promise is the God who commands hosts of mighty angels is our God. Number two, from verse eight and nine, the strength of our enemy is nothing compared to the strength of our God and he will use that strength for our good. And number three, we will see his victory over our enemy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonian Christians. And he's saying, don't worry about your brothers and sisters in Christ who have died. Because when Jesus Christ comes back and conquers Satan triumphantly, they're going to rise first. And all of God's people together will be with him forever. And we will witness the humiliating defeat of our enemy. There is a a great many wondrous blessings about heaven. About the life that is to come. But some of the greatest blessings are this. There will be no sin there because God is there and Satan is not. There will be no sin. God is there. Satan is not. What a wondrous promise. What a wondrous hope of heaven. We will see our enemy who has been trying to separate us from the will of God. The enemy who has been trying to keep us from living for our Savior who loves us, we will see him humiliatingly defeated. And then the final 
pretty promise is that our God reigns over all. There is not a section of the universe, there is not a corner of the cosmos that our God is not in charge of. We serve a great and a mighty God. And David ends this psalm in a song of praise. Let's look at the last four verses, verse 14 to 17. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But... I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing your praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. He ends with a song of praise to the Lord. He says, the enemies." prowling like a dog still. I said that before. I'll say it again. The enemy is prowling like dogs. It's creepy. It's scary. I'm in danger, but I will sing praises to my God because I know his power over them. Singing praises to God is a way that we wage war against the enemy because telling God how big he is It reminds us of just how big he is. Imagine that somewhere in your heart is a case, a glass case with a hymnal in it that says, break in case of emergency. Here at our church, we begin by singing praises to God. And that's pretty much universal. Any church you go to, they sing praises to God. Parents, when you bring your children in here before junior church, they are learning heritage hymns. They are learning the songs of our church family. The songs that will get them through the attacks of the enemy. Maybe you can think back to a song your grandmother used to sing to you. That whenever you hear it, it reminds you of her and the strength of her faith. What a wonderful legacy to leave. A hymn that you can arm yourself with. Maybe you're new to the whole church thing. But every Sunday when we sing, you are learning the songs of your new family. The songs of our family in Christ. That you can hang on your belt. And anytime you are under attack, you can reach for it. And isn't that what the book of Psalms is all about? Divinely inspired Songs to use as weapons in spiritual warfare. So here's what I'll leave you with. There is a fierce and powerful enemy seeking to destroy you. But your God is far more powerful. God will humiliate your enemy and defeat and consume him in wrath for all of the people of God to see. And as you feel the pressure of the enemy, as you feel yourself surrounded, rest in the strength 
of your God. Hold on to the blessed hope of the return of Christ Jesus. And finally, sing praises to the Lord. Reach into your heart to that glass case where the hymnal is. It says, break in case of emergency. And you pull out a deadly weapon of praise to your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have given us your word. Your word which tells us who you are, what your will is for us, that gives us the hope of the future, that you will return, that the enemy will be defeated. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who feels overwhelmed by the weight of the enemy surrounding them, Lord, that you would fill them with hope. Because as the enemy prowls like dogs, you reign above in glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As believers, we can sing the chorus of this next song with such confidence. Our God is greater, our God is stronger than any other